good point to say you all have access to chat. We are encouraging you to write things in chat in real time. The funnier, the better. You get points if you manage to make the panellists laugh. Can I pin three people at once or can I only pin one no, person at once? That. No, I try that. Boop. Just... Just turn it on so it focuses on you when you're speaking, and I think that will have to have to work. Yes. Andrew Hogg says, can I pin three people at once, title of your sex tape? <laughs> Excellent. That's going to be the title of the podcast then. That's sorted. That is good to get that out of the way early. Hello everyone, welcome to episode three of the Octothought podcast. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Betty. And we are here recording on Zoom on uh, Good Friday because we are not at EasterCon, although my Zoom background is the bar at the Hilton Metropole, so I am there in spirit. But I only have water at the moment, I will get beer later. Did we get any feedback on episode two? It's not been that long, has it? No. Uh, it turns out that if you only give people about two days, no one really gives you feedback. We got we got some feedback from a listener. Um, oh, who was it? Listener Alison. Do you want to read out the feedback from listener Alison? Alison? I think you should read out the feedback. I did send it to you, didn't I? You did send it to me. You sent me a letter. I'm not sure how Gordian, uh, Aurobarusian, Aurobarusian? I can never pronounce that word. Alison from London writes that the person who does our new shiny theme music also has every different sort of graph paper imaginable. Uh, boxes, triangles, hexagons, asymmetric, logarithmic, knitting charts, polar, Genko Yushi, music staves, and many, many more. It's highly configurable, and you can make it look exactly as you like. And you can find it at incompetech.com slash graph paper. We also got a comment from listener, um, listener Liz that said that when she was listening to the podcast before we released it, I asked a question of her in the podcast, and she responded to it in real life in her flat, which was most excellent. <laughs> we got a comment from listener Andrew, who said that as he was walking up the stairs and fell over, I said careful at the very moment he had just fallen over. He accused me of being a witch. And we had feedback from Catherine Crockett, who asked us to do transcripts. And we are looking into doing transcripts at this point. I, I think we. I think I'm prepared to say we are going to do transcripts. I think Liz has volunteered. Yes, I felt guilty because John does all the recording and editing, and Alison does all the making nice logos and social media images. And I so far do nothing at all, uh, including listen to the episode in a timely fashion so John can release it. So I volunteered to assist with transcripts. Uh, I think I was last with the episode this time. I think you're putting you're putting your contributions. In- in terms of your excellent opinions, which you vocalise, which I think is the primary thing that you bring both, but we all bring. Everything else is gravy on a cake, uh, to continue the excellent metaphors. How are you two dealing with the fact that you've got three days of nothingness stretching ahead of you? I don't have three days of nothingness. I seem to have vast numbers of parties. I've had all of the fun of setting up the technical bits and pieces for this podcast and um, planning for a Zoom party tomorrow night. And oh, no, but I do have a plan for this weekend, which is that I am going to take my four days of uninterrupted peace and quiet and I'm going to get legend on Hearthstone, maybe. 
Excellent. For the first time ever, I've been playing this game for six years. Hashtag not all that good. I think it's good to have like realistic goals for your weekend. Because I could say, you know, I'm going to clean my whole house and I'm going to make hot cross buns and I'm going to clean my laundry backlog. But really, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to play PlayStation. It's also not a bank holiday weekend for me. So I just have two days stretching before me where there would have been an Easter con. Fair enough. I It hadn't occurred to me to try and clean the house. I... I mostly been filling my Easter weekend up with fun things to do. And so I have uh, assembled quite a lot of fun things. Any flat pack furniture? <laughs> no, no flat pack furniture. I'm not sure whether Ikea's open. I haven't looked. Have you guys got any virtual things happening that are instead of EasterCon? I don't have any virtual things instead of EasterCon, but I have virtual things that are part of EasterCon. The EasterCon itself is running, as far as I know, only one actual program item. This is important. I'm sure you guys are all going to be interested, which is that they're running a virtual business meeting at 2.45 p.m. British summertime on Sunday to choose the 2021 and 2022 Easter cons, and they've had bids for both of those. So tune in then. I guess the details are going to be in email and on their Facebook page and so on. I am holding a party. If you know me and you don't already have an invite to this party, please get in touch and, and I'll sort that out. If you don't know me, then it was like the sort of party you have at an Easter con. So you just need to talk to somebody who's at the Easter con and knows me and they'll give you the Zoom code. If we have over 100 people, we're going to have to have some kind of corridor thing going on or a tip jar to get the Zoom large parties extension or something like that. And so that's tomorrow night late. I think there are other parties happening. Several people have done virtual book launches, but I don't actually have any diary entries apart from those three. This to this and then two. I've got your room party and I've got the Easter Cobbid session. John Robertson did a show called Darkroom at the last Birmingham EasterCon and this weekend he is doing a 48 hour long Darkroom session which is on his Twitch and on his Discord server and so uh, that starts at 7pm today so I will be dipping in and out of that. I'm not sure I'm going to do the whole 48 hours because obviously I'm going to come to your party Alison but uh, I'm not going to get any sleep apparently so that's going to be fun. The reports of his show last time were phenomenal. I didn't get to it and people said it was amazing. So I I need to go find more about that and make it happen. Can we put a link in chat, please? There will be a link in the show notes. I can indeed also put a link in the chat. Yes, unless you're very fast with the editing, I think the 48-hour live stream might be over before then. I could be very fast with the editing. Yeah, that's what John's going to do this weekend. So yeah, so I'm doing that. And also a podcast I Patreon is doing a panel tomorrow night, which is actually not strictly speaking SF nor, but it is tabletop game related. It is not deliberately EastCon related, but it is in the same period as EastCon. So I'm treating it as part of my EastCon. So that'll be good, I hope. It looks like we're going to cover kind of the business of the EasterCon, of actually picking some more EasterCons. And we're going to cover the social side by everyone having Zoom parties. But are there any actual sort of panel discussions that anyone has spontaneously brought into being over the weekend? What apart from this one? There's us. Yes, us. Other than us, I mean, I assume the reason there are people listening is that we are the only available panel type discussion over the weekend. And so they really have no choice. I was just wondering if anything else was going on. I'm going to suggest that this is something that people can do for themselves. Find three people who are interested in the same thing as you and announce that you're going to run a panel and stick it on the Facebook group and people will come and listen to it. Yes. I think that's a complete plan. I think start here, get people involved. Tell them once they've listened to one, they should start another one. And if our viral spread is high enough, I understand so much more about that than I did four weeks ago. (laughs) 
if that viral spread is high enough, then we will just have everyone in the world will be involved in an Easter pub panel by 6pm Monday. And I think me and you, Liz, are doing the game room on Saturday afternoon, so that will be fun, but doesn't scale very well. But obviously, if you miss the game room, there is Tabletop Simulator. And I don't know, we were thinking about doing a panel, but I couldn't think of a good panel topic. So I ended up not pursuing that as far as I should have done, perhaps. But I was thinking about trying to do something like that. And I hope other people will, but I haven't seen anything yet. If people know of anything, please post it in the chat. It's interesting that the bits of the EasterCon we have jumped to recreate are kind of all the frivolous bits around the panels, but not the actual science fictional discussion so much. Yes, that is a fair point. I don't think if you had asked anyone in EasterCon fandom whether they thought the like one third of the people who were responsible for doing the only panel substitution was me, they would have guessed that that was correct. But here we are. It truly is an odd time. <laughs> Or me. You're clearly very SF and serious, Alison. We all know this, secretly. I'm famed for it. Famed for my dedication to the art of talking about science fiction. Right, so the other thing that they did is that I was going to be guest of honour this weekend, which would have been amazing. And two things happened. That that Caroline put together a thank you card for the committee, which went to them in the end with art by Sue Mason and 130 signatures, quite a lot of whom were were actually from couples and families. So I thought that was was pretty phenomenal. And now, of course, there's a long thread going, I never saw the card, which, of course, we'd had to virtually circulate in... in surreptitious ways, which is one of these things that is harder than you would think. And then the other thing was that the apparently they've been putting together a Facebook group for the last week all about me, which I thought was very sweet of them. So I was quite miserable. I think, were we going to talk about misery? I was quite miserable last night in particular. There was a point about 11 o'clock when I was kind of getting ready for bed and thinking, I shouldn't be in bed. I should be in a bar. What I should be doing now is I should just be settling in for maybe three or four hours more of going. I should really get to bed, but it's the first night of the Easter card and I'm not ready to go to bed just yet because I'm just seeing all these people I have. And and at that point, it really all hit me and it was just terrible. So I, I went to bed anyway. And then when I got up in the morning, there was this lovely, this was group full of people being nice about me, which is lovely because that's not my normal experience of fandom. I normally, I think, especially if you do con running, people are very appreciative, but people are also very quick to tell you about everything that you do wrong. So maybe we should do a little, little more of that. Patrick has said, that took a lot of conspiring against you, Alison. Don't feel paranoid. Yeah, it was very sweet. I thank you all so much. I really agree. And I recommend being fan guest of honour at an Easter con, even if it doesn't happen. It's awesome, apparently. I came so close to spilling the beans about that last week on the podcast. Really? You mentioned something else which didn't end up in the final edit. And I I must admit, I thought she doesn't know about the Facebook group yet, but that would have been a very germane thing to discuss at this point. But yes, I didn't want to spoil the surprise. (laughs) So you nearly nearly spilt the beans. I'm very slow on the uptake, so I would I would not have noticed. You could have probably mentioned it quite thoroughly without me even noticing it. You could have said, oh, of course, there's this Facebook group, and, and I could have gone, what Facebook group? And you'd have corrected, and I'd have gone, oh, well, I'm sure I'll see it. I've compl- I was blindsided. I had no clue. You are all muted, and I've stopped all your video so that we can do the podcast bit, and then we'll have a bar bit at the end of it. And yeah? then we'll be drinking. And hopefully my local pub will have delivered my beer by then. But I don't know. That would be amazing. It would. It would be like a delivery from the green room. <gasps> right there into the lobby of the Metropole. Yes, indeed. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be a porter. I'm very excited. Um that's what you know, one of the one of the very big things about doing panels is usually that you get beer. 
I am bereft of beer at the moment, so this is very sad. I, it's okay. I'm paying for every beer I drink this weekend out of the fivers I'm not spending on pints of beer in the Hilton Metropole, Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. So, so being the fan guest of honour doesn't come with an unlimited beer budget? It, to be fair, they were going to give me a very good per diem. Uh, it would have been fine were it not for the fact that I was going to use it to pay the hotel bill of my children. So how are you two coping with the whole there's not an Easter con? I am quite busy this weekend. I think I am... Uh, I'm going to miss it, um, obviously. It's not the same trying to do everything virtually. And uh, there are people who I won't see who I would normally... Who, who I will dearly miss. Obviously, there is the disco and your room party, which are happening on Saturday night. So hopefully they will address some of that. But yeah, it's it's weird. It's a big, empty thing where there was going to be a lot of fun and drinking. I mean, obviously, my bank balance is very happy about it, but I don't know. My mental health, perhaps less so. Well, for me, it's actually good because I probably wasn't going to make it in person. And last year, I didn't make it in person. And what I got was lots of people sending me photos and sending me videos and sending me gossip. And it was very fun. But I was in my flat going, this is a bit less fun when you're not there. So for me, it's actually an upgrade because I wouldn't have been able to go to the bid session at all. And now I can go to the bid session. I wouldn't have been able to go to Alison's room party. And now I possibly can go to Alison's room party if I get up very early in the morning or stay up very late at night. One of those things. So it's working out pretty well for me. But I appreciate that is a strange view on it. But there may be other people who weren't going to make it in person this year who now also can get these fringe benefits. I really enjoyed Ossicon 4. Is it the 2010 Worldcon? was in Australia. This it was Aussie Comfort. Despite the fact that I wasn't there, I was in Walthamstow and I helped Flick run the newsletter. Flick was in Australia for Aussiecon. And what we did is that when they went to bed, I would pick up all of the outstanding news stories and write and edit an issue of the newsletter on my Mac in Walthamstow because the, the newsletter system that we use, it's actually all in the cloud. Uh, the, 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 the formatted newsletter isn't in the cloud, but but all of the text is and and i'm i did that and and then they get up in the morning and just do the final edit and print and we made loads of jokes about the fact that i was doing this in britain and nobody realized this fact we said so repeatedly <laughs> um so i did about three 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 or four shifts on the newsletter and it was it was actually really really good fun it was a it was it, it, i felt that i was enjoying the convention much more than i would have done normally a Worldcon that I couldn't be at. And I have a very long experience of Worldcons I can't be at. So there we go. That was a good way to do it. I, if I'd had more time, I'd have suggested to persons that we do a virtual newsletter for Concentric. It's probably not too late, actually. But anyway, I have no promises. Not too late. I did wonder whether that would be a fanzine that came out, whether someone would do a virtual newsletter. And I was sort of tempted to do it. I, I sort of thought about it about 6pm yesterday. I thought I needed probably more notice than I have given myself to actually achieve anything with this because I was going to try and do a compilation of stuff that was happening but it would be fun especially for Con Zealand it would be fun if someone did a fanzine that was a newsletter of an increasingly less and less likely world con that never actually happened that that could be a very good project I think. Con Zealand is working very hard to virtualize I, I had happy hour yesterday and Esther McCallan Stewart had to run off because she's part of the New Zealand virtualization effort and they're having lots of really serious meetings about how you virtualize a Worldcon and what sorts of things you do. I mean, I'm, I'm well used to newsletters being very much an afterthought for these sorts of things, but newsletter is the sort of thing that you 
that if I were running a large virtual convention, and who knows, that might happen in the future. If I were running a large virtual work convention, I would definitely want to have a newsletter because that, that's how people find out about it. And it's how you filter the stuff so that you so that people see what's interesting. And it should be entirely PDFs that are left in random corners of the internet so that you can't go to a single web page and just read them conveniently, right? That That is the newsletter that we have and that we should try and replicate that where possible. You're being very hard. For the last several years now, we have actually managed to put the thing on the website quite quickly. I know, I know. I'm joking. I'm joking. I speak as one who edits newsletters. I speak with love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, that's certainly a thing that we do. My newsletters have not been on the internet, Alison. Like, I am definitely part of the problem and not part of the solution in this particular regard. I've, I've done nothing. <laughs> It's really complicated because we've got to a stage in the world where people produce PDF fanzines that are meant for a fairly small group of fanzine fans to read. And if they do that in the wrong way, those things that are contained in them can can go viral badly. Now, now in general, I think we're OK with newsletters. We've kind of got the hang of what we can and cannot put in a newsletter. But it's certainly true that, that in the newsletter room, there are jokes that do not get into the newsletter, which is, you know, just the way of the world now. And they would have got into a newsletter before the internet. Um, and in fact, if you, you can read old convention newsletters um, written by some very witty, witty people who would who would not be able to do that, that now in that way without getting into terrible, terrible trouble. So I would say it may be too late for you to do a convention newsletter, but it's definitely not too late for you to do a one-off spoof convention newsletter of a convention that's not actually happening. Yes. Yes. I will I will talk to the person who was going to be running the newsletter this weekend and see how they are feeling about <laughs> Oh, hello. Spadia's just said that she's technically the green room and she's gonna bring me a gin and tonic. Now this this is great. What you need is someone in your house who is listening to your podcast who will bring you alcohol. This is most excellent. Hang on, I one moment. Please bring <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> Listener Bridget has given us some feedback on episode one in chat, which is Switch Controller also sounds like a sex toy. Way the green room's arrived. Cheers, everyone. I'm not sure John heard that. I did. I did. I heard that the Switch Controller sounds like a sex toy. It does. I was very conflicted about whether or not to leave that in because I was like, is this the right tone? And then I decided to embrace it and make it the title of the episode. So we've made a clear commitment. So what else did we have on the list to do today? Apart from talking about the fact that we're not at EasterCon. We were going to congratulate someone on the podcast, I believe. Well, I was anyway. So congratulations to Hugo nominee Coxon. Oh, yes, that's right. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Being a Hugo nominee is awesome. It is. It is. I get a little pin. How many is that now? I have two little pins, or I will have two little pins, or I... Well, I have one little pin, and assuming Conzeeland do little pins, given that there won't be a Worldcon at all, which is up in the air, one presumes, because shipping a bunch of little pins from New Zealand around the world might not be a good use of their resources, I don't know. Shipping tiny pins around the world is much cheaper than shipping massive Hugos around the world. That's true. That's true. So I think it's going to be fine. I think you'll get your pin. I suspect I will not win a Hugo because the raft of other finalists is incredibly strong. And although I think Journey Planet does great work and we are definitely in with the chance, we are also uh, in a position where if we lost one of the other finalists, that would be thoroughly deserved. But it also occurs to me that if I ever do win a Hugo, I would want it to be in a year where the Hugo was not virtual. I think I would, I would quite like it to be a physical artifact. So hopefully 
they do ship massive chunks of metal around the world. The really interesting thing will be, given that the rockets are made in the UK, will they have the rockets shipped to New Zealand and then shipped from New Zealand around the world? Or how will that work? I bet they will. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. That's an interesting question. They already announced the winners of the base design competition. I can't remember who they are, but I think they are New Zealanders. So yes, they probably will have to ship the rockets to New Zealand, put the bases on and then figure out how to dismantle them and FedEx them back to you. So that's going to be fun. That, that would be my guess. And actually posting the little mini rocket pins to all the nominees might be better than the current situation where they tend to put them in those big envelopes that you get at registration and they all get lost in the bottom. Yes. I also hope I get a ribbon. I don't want to be done out of a Hugo finalist ribbon. So I hope they send ribbons out as well. I've been a Hugo finalist. Back in the days when they called them nominees rather than finalists, I've been a Hugo nominee quite a lot of times. And you would think that I would have carefully stored all my pins where I could find them. But I, I do have a couple. I, and, and then Magicon did gold ones because I think it was the 50th World Con or the 50th Hugos or something. And so I have that gold pin somewhere. <laughs> I did see one of the nominees saying, I'm thrilled to be nominated, but it's so sad that I'm being in a nominated in a year when I can't be at the Worldcon. And and uh, most of my, the years I was nominated, I had tiny children and the Worldcon was not in the UK. And I, I had years of being nominated and not being able to go to the Worldcon and desperately wanting to go to the Worldcon. I, you know, I, I just I just wanted the whole Hugo nominees experience. But this story has a happy ending because in 2005, the Worldcon was in Glasgow and, and Plopton won, won the Best Fanzine Award, which is, as everyone knows, the big one. Yes. It's like Robert Silverberg was saying when he presented a Hugo at Con Jose, I think it was. He got the Hugo for Best Fan Writer in the Retro Hugos, and he has put it as proudly as the rest of the Hugos on his shelf, because it is still a Hugo Award. Uh, But he says he strongly suspects he won it because he is a famous author, not because the fan writing he did in that year was of the highest quality in fandom, but it's still a Hugo, and it still takes a proud place in his collection. So, yeah, I think Fanzine is uh, a very good one to win. Um, I don't think I'll ever win it for fanzine, but I, I live in hope that I will. But the nominees are just so, they're just so strong. They're just so good. <laughs> so who are, the, who are the fanzine nominees this year? The Book Smugglers, Galactic Journey, Journey Planet, Nerds of a Feather Flock Together, Quick Sip Reviews, and The Rec Centre. So that is a strong roster. I know lots of Hugo nominees. Uh, lots of the people who are Hugo nominees. Uh, it's really nice that so many, so many people that I know have got nominations, and that's amazing. Congratulations to all. I think uh, so. Last year, Lady Business won, and they are not on the ballot. So I don't know whether they declined their nomination, or I don't know whether um, they just haven't been active enough this year to get nominations. I sort of assume it's the. I, I sort of assume that they've declined, but I don't know. This is why the most exciting part of the Hugos for me every year is the very end of the ceremony when the people who put the Hugos together, at the very end of the thing, they produce a huge document that shows exactly what was voted for in everything, all, all the nomination stage, all the finalist stage. And it is, it is the most fascinating thing. It tells you who declined things, where you have a thing where your particular favourite missed the nomination, but missed the finalist by one vote and you go, probably should have voted. And, and all of that sort of thing. <laughs> I always vote 
I don't always vote in every category because if I don't feel particularly well informed, then I don't necessarily vote in a category because I'd rather better informed people make the decision. But I do always vote in at least one category and, and usually most of them. Listener Neil says stat stat, um, with what, which I wholeheartedly concur. I mean, he said it. He said it more shouty than you just did it, which is impressive. Sorry, listener Neil said stats stat. That is what I wanted. It's a rare case where you have to tell Alison to be more shouty. <laughs> it's just a spot-on impression. I mean, it's like he's in the room. I haven't been paying enough attention to not talking to you two, and I didn't notice that it was actually Hog that started the stats chant. So I expect it's supposed to be more like stats, 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 My suspicion. Like a statistical Mexican way. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I have just checked, and Lady Business did recute, say they would decline the nomination um, in fanzine before the nominations were announced. So there you go. Excellent. I mean, excellent research on Liz's part. I am not. Don't mean excellent that they recused. No, I, th- I still think it's a very nice. I still think it's a nice gesture when you know win and say, "Okay, we've won. That was great. Thank you. Please check out everyone else." Yeah, I think that's true. I think obviously. You know, come back to me when I've won a whole like library of Hugos, right? Because maybe I'll feel differently if I ever like actually win one. But I sort of feel like if you've been, if you've won three times in a row, that that is about at the point where you should start thinking: Is this for the best? First fan cast winner won three times in a row and then recused themselves. It was it the SF Squee cast? I don't know, but we'll look it up and then you will drop it in seamlessly into the podcast, right? Seamlessly, yeah, obviously. Now. The retro Hugo ballots um, only attracted 120 nominations, mm. which doesn't seem like very many. We must be getting to the end of retro Hugos. We must be running out of years for which we could award them. So I worked this out, and there's like another six or something. We're not as close as I thought we would be. The way you've said that makes it sound like you were hoping it would be closer, Liz. Do you want to talk about that some more? I just, I just, I don't know. I think maybe the first time I was like, oh, this is quite a neat idea. We'll award the Hugos for a year. We didn't do it. We'll go back and look for everything and award them. And I think it's just been kind of diminishing returns as evidenced by the number of people who actually nominate because it takes a long time to really go and inform yourself about the potential nominees. And I think a lot of it is not based on what they did in that year or where they were in their careers up to that point. It's based on kind of the whole of their careers as we saw it, especially for the fan awards. So I think, I don't know, we've just reached a point where maybe it's not worth carrying on to finish them off when there are only 120 people who are particularly interested in nominating. No, I'm sure there are more people interested in nominating than that, but only 120 actually got to get it onto the ballots. I, I think I've, I've, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of, oh, Lillian. You're not a big fan of Lillian? Is that what you just said? Because that's very mean. <laughs> Welcome, Lillian. I'm an enormous fan of Lillian, but I have muted Lillian and put stopped her video along with everyone else who's not us for the podcast part of this. And then in a bit, we'll have the bar part of it and open it back up again. I'm not a very big fan of the Retro Hugos. I've never particularly thought they were a good thing. I don't think we need more awards than we've got. And I, for all, the, and, and then they have all those inherent problems that they're not quite doing what they think they're doing. On the other hand, I do know people whose parents or grandparents have been awarded retro Hugos who've been absolutely thrilled by that. that that's been just the most enormous honour for them. And, and yeah, that's quite. I wouldn't personally have invented it. And if I were 
running a Worldcon, which is not a thing that's ever going to happen, <laughs> I would be in the class of people going, well, we could theoretically award Retro Hugos, but we're not going to do that, if, if at all possible. I think it's one of those things where it's a nice idea, but it would be, it's very difficult to do it well. I think it's a really nice idea to go back to the years where there were no Hugos and award works Hugos for the years that didn't get them. Why? Because I think it's cool to have a view of what Worldcon thinks the best work was in each year that Worldcon existed. Having said that, I share both of your concerns that the actual process of doing Retro Hugos has not in fact achieved that goal because I think people do win who are still active in the field for things that perhaps they weren't really the best. Um, and I also think that I sort of feel like there is a, a slant here where a lot of science fiction fans, and I count myself in this, are completionists. And we don't like seeing an uncomplete set. If you've got a set, it should be a complete set. And if you don't have a complete set, what was the point in the set? And so I think there is an element here of the completionism being the driving factor. And I'm not sure completionism is a good enough reason to do it. I would be more comfortable with it if it was a juried award where like 10 people who are very knowledgeable go away and research and say, here are the people we think should be given the Hugos. But then that doesn't really jive with the principle of the Hugos being awarded by the Worldcon fandom. So I don't know. I don't know that there's a good way of getting around the problem. And so I, I am an R. Equally, I'm quite happy for the people who like it to keep doing it and I don't really have to pay attention, which is usually my view on many things. So as long as the people doing it are happy, I don't really mind. That's not nearly uh, inflammatory enough, is it? <laughs> I tried. Kent Bloom has said, do you want to be remembered as the best fanzine except for X? I think there are cases where you do have like the obviously finest thing of the year. This much more happens in novels where people who've won a few novels take their jaw-dropping novel out of the Hugos. But I think for fanzine, I think, for example, when Plockter won, we were probably the best fanzine that wasn't answerable. And, you know, A, Plockter, I think I should state now, Plockter has never been, was never the best fanzine of the year, not at any time. That's not what the Hugos are not actually awarded for the best thing. They're awarded for the things that people enjoy. There's a word. There's a form of word. It's something like the the uh, the things that you enjoyed the most over the year and want to see nominated, or something like that. But I don't think anyone goes now. Oh, that award won a in a year, but three fanzines had removed themselves from the ballot. I don't think that's a problem, except in the case where you have something like, you know, a film or a movie or a book that was like the, the, the thing that everyone talked about all year and then and then the creators took it off the ballot. That's a little bit different. But even then, I don't think anyone will remember 10 years later. They would just go, oh, that one, that's what won the Hugo in that year, is it? So, yes, I'm very happy, very proud to have awards for the best fanzine that wasn't answerable in 2005 and 2006. But you say Ansible is the best fanzine, but certainly I laugh more at Plockter than I do at Ansible, but I find out a lot less actual information about upcoming events in Plockter than I do in Ansible. So it really does depend on what you want. In some ways, sort of, I think you can make a coherent argument that Ansible is a very, you know, in some ways Ansible is the best fanzine, and in some ways it's clearly not. And I don't know, I don't mind... I don't mind winning. I think the thing is, if I ever win a Hugo, I'll be over the bloody moon. And I'm not going to be worried about whether or not I won it in a year that anyone recused themselves. 
And arguably, the fact that File 770 recused itself in advance means that we don't know whether it would have been nominated. Like, he said he would recuse himself so people didn't nominate him. But how do you tell? I don't know. It's a very hard question. But I'll be over the moon if I ever win a Hugo. So yes, that is, I think, my answer. I recommend winning a Hugo. (laughs) I especially... I recommend winning a Hugo at a convention you're at because it's the best thing. It really is. It was absolutely amazing. Loved it. Will never happen again, but it was, it was a lot of fun. If anyone's been hearing rattling, I have now located my Hugo pin. Zoom is very helpfully making it part of the background. <laughs> it's very difficult to actually show because it's very thin. We can see it. And I will put a link in the show notes. You know, everyone knows what this looks like. Not everyone. Tobes doesn't pay attention. Tobes is in the audience. Hi, Tobes. Tobes has confirmed that he doesn't pay attention in the chat. But that's a paradox, because for him to have noticed I mentioned that, he would have had to have been paying attention. So we have ourselves a logic trap on our hands. Tobes pays more attention than you think. (laughs) Next is probably audience questions, because I'm sure everyone is very keen to know what we think about things. Um, While we're asking for people to write questions, we will talk about what we're doing to stay sane in the apocalypse. What are you doing to stay sane in the apocalypse? So... I have still obstinately not been doing any reading. I haven't read any of my book since the first episode where I mentioned the book I was reading. I have been playing an awful lot of board games. I've been playing a board game, which I actually have here, called Marvel Champions. It is a great game. I bought it before the apocalypse, and it turns out it's very good single player. So I've been playing that on my own. And then I've been playing a game called Arkham Horror the Card Game with various people, including my wife. And we played some of that this morning. Playing PlayStation, been watching TV, watched uh, Bought Knives Out and watched that. And watched Rear Window, the Hitchcock movie, which is really, really good. Um, So I've been watching more movies. So so how's your screen time been? My screen time? Uh, I would say about the same as normal, actually. I don't think it's significantly gone up. So about 17 hours a day then? Well, the thing is, as someone who works in an office whose job is predominantly making code go, yes, probably about that. Because eight hours a day for work and then plus whatever leisure. But I'm very fortunate in that I have not been furloughed and my work does not need me to be anywhere in particular. I think I am incredibly lucky in that regard. And Espana is also still full time. So we are both, I think, very lucky. I'm I'm not really thinking of it as screen time because, I mean, it is screen time, but it's also chatting to friends time, watching people on Zoom and Teams time, you know, sending WhatsApp messages time. I mean, so I live alone and the furthest I've been since Saturday morning is to the car park to collect my groceries when I'm delivered my groceries. So if I didn't like spend my screen time chatting to people, then I literally would not have spoken to another human being for a week. So really the screen time is what is keeping me going. But yeah, actually I'm... I'm doing okay. I don't seem to have that much free time. I'm not sure how John is fitting in board games and TV and video games and books because I seem to spend all my time now hoovering and doing the washing up. Oh, I did say I would plug. So I've been doing my daily exercises in front of the TB to YouTube videos to a channel called Team Body Project. So you can go and Google them and they have a bunch of free videos on YouTube of like all levels from beginner to really quite hard work exercise. And some of them you can tailor like high impact, low impact, uh, based on what you want to do. And they've got someone demonstrating both on screen. So that's really good. After talking about it for about three weeks, I finally got to the point where I have my dancing mat plugged into the television. The amount of tidying up this required for the living in the living room was quite a lot. And I have got my PlayStation 2 
going and I am playing Dancing Stage Fusion, which is Dance Dance Revolution for people who, who don't remember the 90s and the early 2000s. And it is a game where um, as the music plays, you have to move your feet in time with the music. It's the best thing ever. I did this because I have been trying now for when Nintendo Switch Ring Fit Adventure, which is a game that you're supposed to play to get you fit whilst also playing a fantasy game, came out, I decided I was buying nothing. And so I did not need this thing. At the start, at the very beginning of the apocalypse, before people had realized it was the apocalypse, I decided I would, after all, get a copy of Nintendo Switch Ring Fit Adventure to discover it was unobtainable everywhere. Um, and so this is my this is my methadone for the new posh game, which is an old but nevertheless excellent game that will keep you fit. And I started it yesterday, so I now have a streak of one consecutive days of, of hitting my Apple movement target, which it's not bad. Apple exercise target is better than... Because otherwise I've just been essentially animating myself as a slug for a fortnight. And then I finished playing this game, got some water, went down to rest, and stockinformer.com told me that Ringfit Adventure was in stock at Amazon France. <laughs> so I have a French copy of Ringfit Adventure and Wiggy just went to me in, in the near future. I see various people in the comments are recommending Beat Saber and as I had a go at that in Dublin this year, it is amazing. And if I had like the VR headset and everything, I would be playing that. So that's a lot of money, though, isn't it? That you you need an actual Oculus Rift thing or a headset. I think you could do it on PSVR. So you could do it for somewhere in the region of three hundred to four hundred pounds. I think, but yes, that's still not an insurmountable amount of cash. Okay, we have a lot of questions. Patrick McMurray says that he read an article somewhere which said humanity was failing at apocalypse on the easy level. What do you think? I saw an article that said that we are getting the R of the coronavirus down to nearly one in several countries, or at least one within errors. So I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about our reaction to the apocalypse, um, you know, notable edge cases notwithstanding. What, what do you two think? Are we doing well? How do we know if we're doing well? Liz, you're an expert. I haven't been thinking of it as an apocalypse, although maybe that's just because it is better for my mental health not to assume I am in an apocalypse. I don't think we're doing amazingly well, but I don't think we're doing appallingly badly. I think we're somewhere in the middle. Like it's taking us a while to make the responses that we need to make. And I think we're reacting a bit now rather than planning ahead for what we're going to do next. But we are kind of succeeding in a circumstance that I'm not sure people had really planned for this. Like I think people had planned for, you know, they'd looked at SARS and take an example of SARS, but SARS was like different in several crucial ways from the current coronavirus. And so, you know, maybe you couldn't quite use, if you're taking that as your example, maybe you would plan to do things that wouldn't actually be effective. But I, I think we're somewhere in the middle. We're not doing appallingly. We're not doing amazingly well. There are obvious examples of places which are you know, I just look at what they're doing and I shake my head and it's on a macro scale. Like I see countries doing the wrong thing. And on sort of a micro scale, you can see, you know, people in, in niche areas coming up with the wrong conclusions and writing bad papers and, and things like that. But I think we're sort of the moment on a middle ground. Is that the world or the UK? Or the world mostly, because I think I'm not quite as au fait with how the UK is doing. And it's hard for me to judge because I, I can't go out and see what's happening there. I can't go out and see if there are people around or kind of get a feel for what's going on with your neighbours. But then I guess no one can really do that anymore. Lillian says, do you think the pandemic will see a resurgence of fanzines or appers? And I would like to point out, I think we started a podcast in reaction, at least partly to the fact we were going to have a lot more time on our hands. And I've been editing my Taft report. So 
I think there is a more fan act happening. What do you what do you two think? Um, we were planning the podcast well in advance of lockdown, to be fair. Um, it, it just happened that the lockdown gave us the impetus to actually get on with it. But we, we it's, been in, it's been in train for a little while. I seem to be doing quite a lot of FADAC at the moment. But in fact, lots of things for which I like the peace and quiet of my own normally quiet study have been very seriously disrupted by the fact that I now have a husband who is working for full time in my quiet, peaceful study and a daughter who is studying for her final term at Oxford in the peace and quiet of my study and a son who is playing switch games quite loudly, very close to the peace and quiet of my study. And it's actually very hard to get anything done at all. That's fair. I am currently coming to you from a virtual environment so unsuitable for doing a podcast that I'm not ever going to remove that virtual background. Oh, but I've bought a green screen. You've bought a green screen? I've bought a green screen. Just a cheap one. That is definitely something that wouldn't happen if the apocalypse hadn't, right? Like, I don't I don't think Zoom and other such conferencing tools have made green screens look a lot more sensible than they did three weeks ago. When I got the Rotsmer Award, it came with money. And that was very nice. And I've been using the money for doing some slightly fanish things. And it struck me that seeing as I seem to be spending a lot of my time doing fan activity online, buying a green screen was, was a suitable thing. I just live in a very beige environment, so I don't need a green screen. My environment's very busy. I have laundry behind me, which helps my acoustics, but it does make green screens a lot harder because um, it's all patterns, as you can tell from my t-shirt choices. So I did ask whether the games I was mentioning were playable online, and I will put a link in the show notes. But the short answer is, if you get a game called Tabletop Simulator, you can play many different board games online. And the two I mentioned are indeed available through that. And Nick Upson has asked which book, film or other story best predicted the current situation and behaviours, do you think? This is why you probably wouldn't go to us for your serious science fictional panels, isn't it? So I'm now thinking about this and I'm not sure. But Charlie Strauss did say he had a whole treatment for a novel that, that was based on this thing. but And he had this idea that, um, as we know from history, people do pull together in difficult times much more than science fiction tends to predict that they will. A couple of people have recommended them. I have been reading Europe in Autumn, which somebody mentions down the thread, that does indeed, it's a balkanised Europe following pandemic. So I don't know whether that's how we're going to end. It feels to me like Europe's pulling together quite well with us not in it. Lillian asks, should, should we all dress up for your party? And I feel like you should dress as you would normally on the Saturday night of an Eastercom, or not as you choose. Just, I mean, wear something. It's not a clothes optional party. <laughs> wear, wear something unless you want me to stop your video. <laughs> Uh, Neil has recommended Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinska and Severance by Ling Ma. I will say that has made me think we probably should work out which Kim Stanley Robinson Three Californias we would like to be and see if we can get there. Zoe has asked, and I think this is a great question, are you all desperately looking for new things to watch and read or love watching and reading favourite old stuff? I am watching new stuff because I am watching Buffy and Espadia is watching favourite old stuff because she is watching Buffy. <laughs> and so that is how that's happening in my house. Espadia is using this as an opportunity to get me to watch lots of things. But I think mostly I have, I have watched so little television that everything is pretty much due to me. So that's a hard question. 
What about you two? Um, I'm watching less television than usual, but that is because we are playing Animal Crossing on the Switch for almost every waking moment because there are three of us and one of us is a one of those three people is is a Animal Crossing completist, which is not a thing I ever realised could happen. And the other two are Animal Crossing dilettantes and keep going, could we just get on for 30 minutes in daytime so we can catch the daytime fish, please? I think I'm doing a bit of both. Like I'll read something new, but I'm not reading anything, I guess, super demanding. I have gone back to some Terry Pratchett because that's my comfort read. It's a good comfort read. Very good. This is a statement, I think. Next live podcast happens with everyone dancing. <laughs> I mean, it won't happen with me dancing. I'm happy for it to happen with everyone else dancing. I will be the person not dancing in the middle. Unless we record a podcast at the disco, but that seems like it might be too many podcasts in too short a time. Max has recommended Oculus Quest for getting Beat Saber. And Lillian asked, will the pandemic rescue the VR industry or will no one ever want to do VR again? I don't have VR, so I am spectacularly badly placed to answer that. Do either of you have a VR thing? I do not, but I understand that you can get some sort of like fancy setup for your conference room or meeting room where you sort of get a VR or some kind of like fancy projection of the whole person. And people were just starting to talk about this sort of before we all went into doing video conferences all the time. Because I already did a lot of video conferences, but now I do only video conferences. And I think that is going to become a lot more popular. I think people will realize that maybe you don't need to do everything in person, but maybe it'd be good if you could see the actual kind of hologram of a person. I'm going to have to find a link to this weird hologram thing as well. I have only ever had the very cheap sorts of VR rigs, which are the ones where you slot your phone into a bunch of lenses. What I do do is stereo photography. I have a phone just so that I can look at stereo photos on it that is not made by Apple because Apple's never putting a 3D screen on a phone. And I have used a lot of VR headsets in order to do 3D stuff. You know, the, the stereo realist is 70 years old now, nearly, and, and there are medium format cameras to look at stereo pictures that are just amazing. Bridget asks, will everyone now want green screen colour t-shirts with amusing hovering designs on? And the answer to that is no. I also know why it's really difficult to make that happen, but that's very boring and you need to ask me in a bar where, you know, when there's not 15 people in the room. Just, 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 you know, take me into a corner somewhere. So, so like in the bar we're about to have. Like in the bar we're about to have. Excellent. Somebody has said, also, Bridget, how can you feed your tribbles if there's no quadrupedale in the shop? I wasn't going to read that because I can't pronounce that word. I can't pronounce that word. I think that's funny. Quadrupedale. Whoa! I could just superimpose that into Alison and hope no one notices. It'll be fine. You can. That's right. Quadrupedale. In the shops. Yeah. And we have one final question, which is, will this encourage us after this to travel less and save the planet? And that's from Lillian. I don't know, because the thing I'm really missing is travelling. And so I am a little bit of the opinion that people might actually decide to get out a bit more after a few months of, of enforced isolation. I could see it going that way. But if the benefit to the environment is very, very clear as a result of the lack of travel, it might mean that environmental lobbies have an easier time influencing policymakers in the future. I don't know. I think that leisure travel is going to be very popular, but I think some business travel, people will start to go, you know what, now that we've all got video conferencing set up and we're used to it and we're all familiar with it, we maybe didn't need to do quite so many trips in person. I'd be up for airline travel rationing as well. I'd be up for saying no, no person is allowed to take more than 10 journeys a year. 
sort it out. You can buy your ration off people. I mean, and I, I do think, like, in terms of sort of conferences and stuff, it's always struck me that a lot of the knowledge could be acquired remotely without needing to go. The the problem, I guess, is the networking is much easier in person. So I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know whether businesses will react in one of those ways. My response to you, John, would be that actually virtual conferences are a great leveler for people who come from countries where they can't afford to go to conferences regularly. So they're actually good for that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So that's the end of another thrilling episode of Octothorpe, the podcast about science fiction and SF fandom. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The music used in this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under a Creative Commons BY 3.0 license. We should stop and then everyone can have a chat and a drink. I've got a beer with my name on it waiting in the fridge. Like literally, did you write it on with a pen and everything? Uh, no, I just decided I was going to drink it in my head. Um, I'm going to turn off my recording though, John. What? I've got to keep mine on in case I say anything devilishly witty. That's a good plan. It seems unlikely. I'm going to stop mine because I'm all out of wit.